This audiobook of the original America Burning was produced by the Firefighter Podcast Combustible. More details on this project can be found online at www.combustiblethepodcast.com. The audio for this recording is consistent with all copyright rights and permissions associated with America Burning and is not affiliated with or endorsed in any way by the federal government or the U.S. Fire Administration. Chapter 11. Codes and Standards For centuries, governments have exercised the right to regulate how buildings are built for the sake of the public's protection. In the time of Julius Caesar, Roman laws regulated the height of buildings and the distances between them. During Queen Anne's reign, the English found it necessary to have a code to require non-combustible roofs. By the time of America's settlement, the legal concept of codes was well established. In 1796, for example, the city of New Orleans, then a Spanish province, passed an ordinance against the use of wood roofs. The public interest justifies these intrusions on individual liberty, but what constitutes the public interest has been a subject of debate and change. Is continuity of business operations in the public interest? States maintain that it is, thus justifying strict code requirements in private industrial plants. Fire safety is only one aspect of the public interest, and hence only one of many matters governed by codes. But in the wake of major conflagrations that struck a number of American cities at the turn of the century, it became a concern of major importance. In 1905, the National Board of Fire Underwriters, now the American Insurance Association, developed and published the National Building Code, the first model building code. It had no legal status of its own, but was intended to provide guidance to state and local jurisdictions for the enactment of legal codes. Because its concern was principally central city areas, the code emphasized converting downtown areas from combustible construction, providing adequate separation between buildings, and providing area limits and fire-resistive separations within buildings. Other model codes have been developed over the years. That of the Pacific Building Officials Conference, now the International Conference of Building Officials, in 1927, that of the Southern Building Code Congress in 1945, and that of the Building Officials Conference of America, now the Building Officials and Code Administrators International Incorporated, in 1950. All of these codes are subject to periodic updating. None of the model codes is sufficient unto itself. All make references to extensive lists of standards developed by other organizations. These standards usually specify the performance a material or structural member must achieve under certain conditions. Standards are written by such organizations as the American National Standards Institute, the American Society for Testing and Materials, and the National Fire Protection Association. In addition to the model building codes, there exists the Life Safety Code, published by the National Fire Protection Association. Its intent is to strengthen provisions for protecting the occupants of buildings, rather than saving the building itself. It covers construction, protection, and occupancy features relative to life safety. Model codes are not the only source of construction regulations. The federal government exerts leverage on the construction industry through such documents as the Minimum Property Standards of the Department of Housing and Urban Development, the Safety Standards of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and the Minimum Requirements of the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare for grant programs or Social Security assistance. Local Code Provisions The situation of the model codes is complicated, but not nearly as complicated as matters at the local level of code adoption. In addition to the building code, for which the model codes are intended to provide guidelines, state and local jurisdictions may have more than half a dozen other codes. 
A building code, of course, applies principally to new construction and alterations, though it is sometimes made retroactive and applied to existing buildings if past deficiencies are discovered to be critical. Once a building is constructed, a fire prevention code may govern the maintenance of the building and the introduction of materials into the building for the sake of fire safety. Frequently, there are other codes as well. The Housing Code, which is concerned with livability and sets standards for sanitation and health facilities and building maintenance. The Electrical Code, which sets requirements for the materials and equipment used in the electrical system. The Plumbing Code, which provides for the delivery of potable water and the safe disposal of flushed wastes. The Mechanical Code, which applies to the heating, ventilating, and air conditioning systems. The Elevator Code, which governs the materials, equipment, and installation of elevators and their use. In a city, there may be as many kinds of inspectors as there are codes, of which only the fire prevention inspectors are likely to be members of the fire department. The two most important codes from the standpoint of fire safety are the building code and the fire prevention code. Typically, two-thirds to three-fourths of the provisions of the building code apply to fire safety, as do all the provisions of the fire prevention code. How these codes are adopted varies from one jurisdiction to another but generally there are public hearings preceding action by the city council or the state legislature. Material manufacturers, suppliers, contractors, labor unions, trade associations, and civic groups are given the chance to support the proposed code or recommended changes. Considering that these groups often differ in their degree of expertise, that they make conflicting claims, and that some do not have fire safety uppermost in their minds, it is hardly surprising that codes are products of compromise amid competing aims and viewpoints. Nor is it surprising that there are wide differences among the 14,000 local building codes that exist in this country. As the National Commission on Urban Problems remarked in its 1968 report, building code jurisdictions are thousands of little kingdoms, each having its own way. What goes in one town won't go in another, and for no good reason. Evidence of the diversity in local codes was discovered during that commission's survey of the nation's 52 largest cities. Only 14 were using one of the model codes. 20 had regulations based on the model codes, but with significant changes. 13 had adopted codes of their own, and one followed a state-recommended code. Four cities did not reply to the survey. Differences among these local codes are not inconsequential. Often, the process of political compromise leads to serious compromise in fire safety. Here and there in this report, we cite examples of tragic fires in buildings that met all local building code requirements. Feeding the diversity among local codes are the differences among the national model codes. The model codes differ markedly in such matters as permissible heights and areas, interior finish requirements, and specifications on safe travel distances for occupants. At the local level, then, a spokesman for a particular point of view, whether on the side of leniency or stringency, can appeal to the authority of the one model building code which among the four best matches his position. If his subject is fire prevention codes, he has three model codes to pick from. Attempts to develop some uniformity among the model codes have had limited success. The Model Code Standardization Council, which includes representatives from the nation's building standards writing organizations, has been working on uniform definitions of building construction terms and a common format for the model codes. The National Conference of States on Building Codes and Standards is working toward more uniformity in building codes on a statewide basis. The Conference of American Building Officials is seeking to fill gaps in existing standards and to devise a better system to promote and approve research toward better standards.
The most promising start toward greater uniformity came in 1971, when the four model code groups jointly published a one- and two-family dwelling code. Having eliminated many of the past differences among model codes, the joint code has thus diminished the justification for wide differences in codes between one jurisdiction and another for single- and two-family residences. However, it has practically no fire safety provisions. More disturbing than the wide differences among local codes is the fact that many jurisdictions have no codes whatsoever. When the National Commission on Urban Problems surveyed local governments in the United States, 18,000 units surveyed, it found that only 46% had a building code. On the other hand, a more recent survey of 2,000 cities with over 10,000 population indicates that 97% of these cities have building codes. It is the sparsely settled areas, it can be surmised, which are chiefly without building codes. Though there are no statistics on how many jurisdictions have a fire prevention code, it appears there are a significant number of communities which do not have one in force. The Commission recommends that all local governmental units in the United States have in force an adequate building code and fire prevention code, or adopt whichever they lack. Local Implementation of Codes a law is effective only to the extent that it is enforced, and so it is with a fire prevention or building code. Many serious building fires have been the result not of code deficiencies, but of lax enforcement, sometimes because of corruption. A fire-resistant floor, for example, is an insufficient barrier to smoke and fire if the architect allows gaps in the floor or a workman punches a big hole in the floor to allow a pipe to pass through. Vigilance is needed in the review of plans, and an inspection during construction. Once construction is finished, compromises in fire safety may be hidden from view. The training of inspectors is, in many places, woefully inadequate. In one major city, the only training for fire prevention inspectors consists of sending them out for a few days with a senior inspector. Architects and engineers complain about inflexibility in the codes, but one reason codes tend toward rigidity and detailed specifications is that local building officials and inspectors are not equipped, because of their inadequate training, to evaluate alternative solutions and trade-offs. The effectiveness of codes is also compromised by lack of coordination among inspection programs. The building department generally has responsibility for enforcing building codes, the fire department for enforcing fire prevention codes. Because fire prevention bureaus are responsible for fire safety throughout the life of a building, they ought to be consulted by building departments during the design and construction phases. In many local jurisdictions, however, building departments act unilaterally, implementing the building code during these crucial stages without requesting the suggestions and advice of the Fire Prevention Bureau. Since the two codes influence each other but require expertise specific to the enforcement of each, coordination of efforts between the two departments is needed to provide optimum fire protection. The Commission recommends that local governments provide the competent personnel, training programs for inspectors, and coordination among the various departments involved to enforce effectively the local building and fire prevention codes. Representatives from the fire department should participate in reviewing the fire safety aspects of plans for new building construction and alterations to old buildings. Strengthening the Model Codes Since the model codes exert a powerful influence on local codes, the quality of the model codes is a nationwide concern of considerable importance. Historically, major changes in the model codes have been made when a particular fire problem achieves a certain magnitude, as is happening in response to high-rise fires, or when a dramatic fire or two focuses public attention on a problem, as happened in the wake of the Coconut Grove nightclub fire in Boston in 1942. 
The problem of smoke generation, which has been aggravated in recent years by the increased use of synthetic materials, has yet to receive adequate attention. Slowness of change, except during crisis, is typical of social institutions. But the consequences of that characteristic are, in this instance, vital to public safety. One consequence of this mode of change is that new requirements tend to be piled upon old instead of replacing them. The result can be needless redundancy and added expense. In some model codes, for example, the addition of an automatic sprinkler system has not been accompanied by trade-off provisions on other fire safety features, such as height and area limitations, maximum travel distances, or the degree of fire-resistive construction. The model codes have also been slow to respond to the rapid changes in materials and construction technology. Here the fault does not lie chiefly with the code writing organizations, since their requirements in these areas usually make reference to the standards set by other organizations. As we pointed out in Chapter 9, changes in materials and construction technology have threatened to outrun the standard-setting organizations and testing laboratories striving to keep up with the changes. As we have also pointed out, a firmer grounding of standards and a scientific understanding of fire and its effects would streamline the process of approving for use new materials and technology. Progress in this direction would also improve the codes. As it is now, both specification requirements, such as half-inch thickness for gypsum sheathing, and performance standards, such as three hours of fire resistiveness in certain bearing walls, are the product of judgments based on past experience or speculation, rather than firm knowledge of fire behavior. The mechanisms for change to the model codes are similar in the International Conference of Building Officials, the Building Officials and Code Administrators International, and the Southern Building Code Congress. When a change is proposed, a code change committee holds hearings to consider opposing views, then studies the matter further, and issues its recommendation. While the recommendation is voted on by the organization's membership, the committee's recommendation is usually adopted. Sitting on these committees are local building officials, who often lack expertise in fire protection, and who, in some instances, are understandably reluctant to impose stringent requirements on industries which would directly affect local programs. The committee process is, moreover, a slow one. While the Commission has no suggestions for improving the process whereby the model codes are amended, we do have two specific recommendations for strengthening the model codes. We are firm in our conviction that many lives could be saved, and many injuries averted, if homes were equipped with early warning fire detectors and alarms. These can be effective sentinels, especially at night when so many tragic fires occur. No less important are early warning detectors coupled with automatic extinguishing systems in buildings where many people congregate. Automatic sprinklers can pay for themselves in damages prevented, and the model code should permit other savings by relaxing requirements for other fire safety features when automatic sprinklers are installed. The Commission recommends that, as the model code of the International Conference of Building Officials has already done, all model codes specify at least a single station early warning detector oriented to protect sleeping areas in every dwelling unit. Further, the model code should specify automatic fire extinguishing systems and early warning detectors for high-rise buildings and for low-rise buildings in which many people congregate. Examples of this last category include buildings of public assembly, such as theaters and exhibition halls, restaurants, and enclosed shopping center malls. These recommendations apply as well to state and local jurisdictions, whether or not they follow one of the model building codes. Of all the actions that can be taken to provide fire safety for Americans in their built environment, these, we believe, are the most important.